Ever feel like you're doing this teaching thing alone? You don't have to be. Share Teaching is all about sharing the workload through the power of collaboration and teamwork. Together, we'll walk through all the difficult parts of teaching and learn how to streamline our processes, fine-tune our time management, and develop a more manageable workload. If that sounds like a dream come true to you, then welcome to the Shared Teaching Podcast. Let's share in the teaching to make those dreams a reality. Now here's today's Shared Teaching. Hello and welcome back to the Shared Teaching Podcast. You're listening to episode number 37. I am your host, Susan, and today we're talking about how to help struggling writers with limited time. So I've been reading a lot of different Facebook group comments, and I've been talking to the teachers in my school, and we all are feeling the same way. This year is just something else. There's so many extra teachers that are quitting mid-year, even though it's not even mid-year. Personally, I'm only a few months into the school year. But I feel the same stress as everyone else. I am trying to teach. I'm trying to run a business in my evenings. I am a single mother to a seven-year-old who is also a second grader, and I teach second grade. No, she's not in my classroom. (laughs) And all of the students are just struggling. There's so many more behaviors, and they're just... Academically, they've been hit very hard by virtual learning, which didn't really help their learning at all, at least what I've seen in my own school. And I'm hearing that across the board. People are seeing things like reversals in second grade, which tend to be more common in kinder and first grade. They're seeing horrible handwriting issues and letter formation. But if you think about it, Who was there to help them with a lot of that instruction? Yes, a lot of us were online and teaching, but I know personally, the amount of time I was given to do online lessons is way different than the amount I'm giving, given, sorry, in a regular classroom setting. And I just couldn't squeeze everything in. So things like handwriting or regular writing lessons kind of fell to the wayside. So anyway... If you add all that together, then you're also trying to teach writing, which can be very difficult. Even several seasoned teachers at my school are telling me, like, I don't know what to do for writing. I just don't know what order things should be done in. I don't get it. And so they're doing things like writing prompts, which are fine, but it really doesn't take the place of teaching the craft of writing and how to put together a story the way a real author would. So today we're going to talk about how you help struggling writers with a subject that might already be a little confusing to teach. So first off, I want to say that differentiating writing doesn't always mean doing modifications. So a lot of times when we think of differentiating, we think of having to modify a lesson, provide different 
tools or different rubrics for students. And that's not always the case. Writing, at least for me, I find is very easy to differentiate compared to other subjects. And I guess that's because I have a lot of background in writing. So I really understand how stories are put together. I understand the process of how you get from the beginning to the end. And it just, it makes sense in my mind. So for me, I find it really easy to differentiate. I'm so sorry if you do not, but I'm here to help you make it become easier. Now, I can't promise it will be super easy, but hopefully you'll start to understand writing in the way that I understand it, and that can help you too. Okay, so when I think of the struggling writers in my room, I know that the best way to help them isn't to immediately change my lessons. That can be helpful, but I'm a really strong believer in trying to always teach to the high. So this means you want even your highest students to benefit from the lesson. Now, the lower students might struggle throughout the lesson, but it's important to keep raising that bar. Students will always rise up to meet that bar when you don't lower your expectations. If you start off with very low expectations, then that's what you're going to get. But if you keep holding those expectations high, those students will eventually meet you where you need them at. Now, I'm not going to say that's always the case. You always have some students that don't fall into those categories. But throughout my teaching career, I've always held a very high standard for my class. If I say the expectation is to write paragraphs in four to five sentences, then they're going to learn to write paragraphs in four to five sentences. Even my struggling writers, if you think about it, they can write something very simple. I like to play. My name is John, right? So it doesn't have to be these long, elaborate sentences. So if you think of it in that way, even your struggling writer can meet that goal. Okay, so during my writing instruction, I give a whole class mini lesson that lasts no longer than 10 to 15 minutes. And 15 minutes is really if I have a mentor text that I'm reading. Now, because I only have 40 minutes for my entire writing block each day, I try to hold read-alouds for outside that writing time. So for example, at the end of the day, I might share a book that later I'm going to talk about as a mentor text during writing time. So my total writing block is only 40 minutes, and 10 to 15 minutes of that is my direct instruction. And during that time, students will also be following along with me and doing a quick we do practice because I follow the gradual release model. (laughs) It's late here. (laughs) I'm stumbling over my words. So I follow the gradual release model of I do, we do, you do. So the I do and the we do part is included in there in that 10 to 15 minutes. Then you have independent writing for the remainder of the time. And then at the very end of my independent writing, I try to provide about five minutes of sharing time with a chosen writing partner so that students can have that benefit of talking to their friends and seeing what their friend's writing looks like. I do find that seeing another student's example 
kind of helps push those students to be more motivated in improving their own writing. Sometimes I might be a little bit embarrassed because their friend might not be able to read what they wrote, but that just shows the power of having these writing goals of things like write so others can read it because that is the proof, right? Your friend is trying to read it, but they can't. Why not? Well, maybe you don't have spaces. Maybe your words aren't sounded out with all the letter sounds. So they start realizing the importance of having to have those in their writing better than if I keep telling them. Of course, I'm telling them, but having a friend show them is way more powerful than the teacher at the front of the classroom telling you how important something like that is. But when you see it in practice, a whole different story. So while you can modify whole class lessons you teach or provide different types of lined papers and tools, I feel that to reach struggling writers means that you're, you're doing small groups or individualized instruction. So before I start talking about how I managed to fit that into my 40-minute time block, this very crammed class schedule that I have, let's discuss what some writing modifications could be if you choose to go down that route. So some of the ways you can modify writing is to use a larger lined paper. So for example, if your students are still writing like two-inch big letters and they're just all over the page and they wrote only a few words and the whole page is used up, maybe you want to use a like kindergarten or first grade lined paper where it's a much bigger area um, for the students to write within the lines. My favorite trick is highlighting work. So for this, you ask the student what they're trying to write and then you write it in highlighter, and then they just trace it over in their pencil. This is for your very, very struggling writers because they're not able yet to sound out words, but you want them to have that connection of what they say is important in print. So if they're at that level, you are writing in highlighter after they say it, so they might say, Um, I want to write a story about my friend. Okay, well, tell me about your friend. Well, my friend's name is Johnny. So you might say, well, well, let's write about my friend's name is Johnny. And then as you write in highlighter, you dictate and you say, my, M-Y, friend. And so you kind of help them see that connection to the print and what they just said. And then they go through and they copy it over with their pencil. So I call it highlighted work. Another way you can provide a writing modification is to provide a talk-to-text option. Now, this is a really good idea if students are having to publish their work by typing it. It's also a great tool that I used last year with virtual learning. So if you're still doing any kind of digital work for students, a lot of times um, Google Slides has an option of a microphone and students can simply click on that and talk away, and it's going to record their thoughts. So that is another way to get their words down on paper. Now, I wouldn't have them do this all the time because the main goal in writing, of course, is always to get the students to understand how to make the sounds and write the letters to make the words. And if they're just talking all the time to print and type it, 
then they might not get that correlation as much as good old-fashioned pen to paper. Okay, so a couple other ideas is to use phonics charts, a word wall, or anchor charts, which all serve the same purpose of giving them a tool to reference during their writing time. And then, of course, you want to make sure that you have mini lessons for how to use those tools. So this is something that I always teach in the beginning of the school year in my writing lessons is I might do one lesson on how to use our word wall. How do I find the words on our word wall? Um, Which letter does this word start with? Where would I look for it? So if it's alphabetical, they know how to figure it out. If it's a sound wall, it's the same principle. Which sound goes where? Where do I find it on the wall? How is my phonics wall arranged? So you want to make sure you're talking about that in a mini lesson. And then, of course, anchor charts are super helpful about whatever that day's topic was. So if you want them to be very concrete in their independent writing and model exactly what you were showing them during whole group lesson, you might want to consider doing some kind of anchor chart. And it does not have to be fancy. Don't get swayed by print Pinterest. It can be as simple as you want it to be. A lot of times my anchor charts end up just being slides that I've created that I project onto my interactive whiteboard because I don't have a lot of room in my classroom and I like to reuse my anchor charts digitally (laughs) and show them to the students at the beginning of each lesson as like a review. So I tend not to have them hanging out and about, but sometimes I will print them out if they're super important and keep them in a writing notebook for my class. Okay, other ways you can have a writing modification is to have a differentiated rubric, which I don't often do, and also you can have individualized writing goals. Now this I definitely do, and I talked about that in a previous episode, so please make sure you go and check that out. And off the top of my head, I do not remember what the episode was, give me just a second, And I think I can look it up very quickly. And it was episode 35. So just two episodes ago, if you want to look at how I um, set up my student learning goals, which includes a lot of information on how I do my writing goals in my classroom, then you're going to want to make sure you definitely check out that. Okay, so let's see now. I've lost my place. (laughs) This is just like how I'm teaching in my classroom a lot of times, isn't it? Like you always get stuck in something and then you have to come back to it. And just so you know, I will not be editing this today so you get to hear all of my lovely mistakes. Okay, which is fine. I'm human, right? All right, so we talked about how to... Um, how differentiating doesn't always mean modifications, and some examples of some modifications you could use. So the next thing I want to talk about is how to fit in small groups or even one-on-one individualized instruction during your writing time. Now, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it is necessary in order to achieve the most growth that you want from your students this school year. Struggling students can show improvement with only just a few minutes of small group instruction each week. 
Of course, the more amount of time you can provide them, the better you're going to see in the growth. But if your schedule looks like mine, then maybe five minutes is all you can spare per writing group. So now in my class, I offer a super quick, explicit grammar lesson two to three times a week before I begin my writing instruction. So it's not always embedded within my writing lessons, but usually it's the first thing. Like, for example, today we talked about irregular proper nouns or irregular plural nouns, sorry. (laughs) Um, So we talked about irregular plural nouns, and then I asked, or sorry, After we talked about irregular plural nouns, I had them do the quick worksheet, and then we moved in into my writing lesson. So it was just maybe five minutes of grammar, and then we started our writing lesson. So when we have grammar first, we go into the mini writing lesson. If we don't, then we just start with the writing lesson. And most of the time, my writing lessons are focused on the craft of writing, such as how to write an introduction for an opinion story or text, I should say. And it's not necessarily how to use the anchor charts or how to use our writing tools, although I do have those, but that's not my daily focus. I look at the big picture. If I'm teaching opinion writing like I am right now, I broke it down into what do they need to know in order to have a successful writing piece by the end of all the lessons. And then from there, I could see which lessons I needed to have in order for them to be able to get um, the points that I wanted from the rubric I was using, if that makes sense. So my lessons are having an I do, we do, you do gradual release model. And then the students are given a short writing assignment and um, released to write independently. So I usually try to aim for 15 to 20 minutes of this independent writing time, and that's when I'm helping my struggling writers. So if you listen to the Student Learning Goals podcast episode, I believe I just said it was episode 35, you can get more details on how exactly I figure out what goals my writers are going to need, and then I use those goals to help me group struggling writers together. So in my current classroom, I have four students who are really struggling with writing words from sounds. Two of those students need a little bit firmer foundation in knowing even their letter names. So I put all four students together in one group because the higher two groups that know most of their letter names and sounds are going to help push the lower students that are still learning those into how to use an alphabet chart and stretch out their words because they have the beginning of those skills. So when I meet with this group, which ideally would be every day since they're so low, I can spend just a few short minutes by having the group stretch and write the same sentence. So I'm not worrying about them having to follow the exact independent lesson the rest of the class is doing, because my main goal for this particular group is just getting them to learn how to stretch out the sounds and write words. I want them to start seeing that connection to words in print. So I'm not so worried about them meeting the lesson goal. I am more worried about them being able to write words independently and eventually form sentences on their own. That's where they are, and that's where they need to 
work on during independent time. Okay, another way I meet my struggling writers is for a writing conference. So this time during independent practice can also be called writing conferences. If you don't really like doing quote unquote writing conferences, you can call it something else. I make it very informal in my room. I don't tell students, hey, it's your conference time. But I do try to keep track of who I'm meeting and when, because that's going to help me if the RTI team is going to look at the student at a later date. They're going to be able to see the data that I've collected and know that this same student has struggled to master a specific skill for X amount of days or weeks because I've tracked it on just a really quick printed calendar. Now, sometimes you have a student who's an outlier and no one else in the class is working on the same goal as this student, right? That happens quite often, I feel like. So this is where you do a one-on-one conference or an individualized conference, and then you're only going to give them about two minutes, maybe longer depending on what they're doing. And this student probably has a much longer piece of writing than the rest of the class. So it might take a few extra minutes to get through their writing. So I will look for their writing goal, and then we're going to discuss how their writing goal is looking within that particular piece of writing that they just did or that they're working on currently. And if it seems like they're meeting that goal, so let's say the goal was to have proper capitalization and periods, and I don't see any glaring mistakes, like maybe there's not five mistakes anymore, maybe there's just one quick mistake that we need to fix. Then I'm going to look for a secondary goal. And that secondary goal is going to become the focus of this day's conference. And after they've met their writing goal for a few times in a row, I'm going to go ahead and assign them a whole new goal that they will then help me track later. And if that sounds a little confusing, then student learning goals, that episode 35, will definitely help unconfuse it a little bit. Okay, last but not least is the power of share time. So all students, especially struggling writers, will benefit from seeing writing exemplars. Now that can be sharing a mentor text, but also from learning from their peers, like I talked about earlier. Building in that sharing time at the end of your daily writing block is going to provide students with the opportunity to see their friends writing. They're going to see what other students in their class are capable of, and it's going to push them to want to improve, hopefully. (laughs) Now, not every writing lesson is going to have time for sharing finished work. Sometimes it takes multiple days for students to to produce a written work. So maybe you're not having sharing time except for every three days. It really depends on the need of your class. And in fact, I didn't even start my share time until a couple weeks ago, and we're now a few months into the school year. So every year, my students get very excited for just these few moments of time to see their friends writing, to talk and discuss their writing with their friend, and Surprisingly, they usually stay pretty close to topic because they know they only have five minutes and they really love telling and sharing their stories. So this is naturally a very powerful way to start seeing improvements in their writing. 
Before allowing share time to happen, we do have a few quick mini lessons to go over ground rules, such as how to give a compliment, how to offer suggestions, and even which partner will share first. So a great way to save time to prearrange the partners and assign each partner is to assign each partner a letter or object. So for this October, I decided to do pumpkins and ghosts for my partners. So they were G and P partners. The ghosts had to be paired with a pumpkin, and I strategically decided and assigned ghosts and pumpkins so that I had specific skill levels because I wanted a little bit of different groups where a higher and a like medium student met together and maybe a medium and a low student. So there was always a little bit of a higher student and a little bit of a lower student in each partner pair. And I do this because I really want students to see that model and have a partner that's going to help them. Now, this tends to benefit more the lower student than it does the higher student, which is why I frequently switch partners around so that they're not, the higher student isn't always feeling like they're having to help a lower partner. Sometimes I will give them an even higher partner and then that makes them feel like someone is now helping them. So by strategically putting different partners assigned to a particular letter, or in this case, the objects of ghosts and pumpkins, is kind of a sneaky way to feel make students feel like they still have a choice, but you're tilting the choice in your favor to have even a more powerful writing partnership. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am so sorry for any mistakes you might have encountered. Like I said, I am not editing it tonight. I am just out of time for being able to get this podcast out. But I would love to know some ways that you are helping the struggler, struggling writers in your classroom. Or do you still have some questions for me? Are you still confused a little bit? Do you need some more help in another area? Please make sure you write me. You can always leave a message for me on any of the blog posts, and I will see your comments. You can also email me, susan at sharedteaching.com, or you can even leave a review and write a question on iTunes where this podcast is found. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in again next week. Bye for now. If you've loved this show, then join me in sharing the teaching, hitting that subscribe button, and leaving us a review on iTunes, so we can be found by more teachers like you who are ready to start sharing the workload. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Find new episodes each week on shareteaching.com. Thanks for listening to the Share Teaching Podcast.